make it, <laughs> trying to shove monogamy down my down it's, my throat. It's the weirdest kind of salmon going upstream I've ever seen. Monogamy going <laughs> down your throat. <laughs> that is not where I. That's not what I thought. I don't think monogamy <laughs> equals salmon. <laughs> I think it's clearly. I. It's You're clearly. A, it's clearly a muskie. My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. My name is Nathan Pletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. This is the Design Games Podcast. So what are we talking about in this episode, Nathan? This week we're talking about characters and players, and how characters don't have to have just one player, and players don't have to have just one character. When I say, let's talk about character monogamy, what are we talking about? As I understand it, we're talking about the notion of a formal or implied or otherwise adopted relationship between one player and one character so that I play a single character in the game and I'm intentionally using the word game in the most multifaceted fashion so that I play one character in the game or the campaign or the episode or the adventure or whatever it is. But so as I understand it, character monogamy is when one player plays one character and is to whatever extent the game defines commitment committed to that character. Yeah, the implication of the word, I think, is is meaningful. Not just that you're playing a character, but that you are committed to this character to the exclusion of playing other characters you know, in a similar way. So the idea of playing more than one character was this very contentious idea recently. But when you think about it, has been around since the dawn of tabletop gaming in one form or another. And I think recently games have gotten better about formalizing it, but just thinking through like, what are examples of non-monogamous player character relationships in the past? And they start with chainmail. What, what do we, I'm just, cause I'm curious when we say recently, how recently are we talking? Because Arch Magica was, gave it a name. Well, that right, exactly. So I guess I'm, I'm thinking like in the late nineties, the idea that you play a character seemed to get kind of calcified game. I know I mean I know Arth Magica was still there, but in my community and like the you know, the the Forge design community and post Forge, games that started intentionally playing with the one player, one character dynamic were cutting edge for a couple of years. In a sense, because people it was shaking up this I this kind of inherited idea that people had from playing Oh, whatever uh, game by playing with you mean like interrogating or questioning or riffing on yes. or yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. By, by, by saying a design feature of this game is that you do not play the same character the entire time. Right. While now in 2015, that's just, it seems from my perspective, that's just a choice among many choices. It doesn't have that same kind of aura of like, I'm pushing a boundary by doing this. Oh, that I, yeah, it did yeah, yeah. in yeah. like 2006, 2007. And that that's kind of, but that's kind of a resurgence of an older thing, mm-hmm. as many of these things are. Like in Ars Magica, I think stands out in this regard, but I was also thinking the whole idea of having hirelings, right? Right. Or like Dark Sun, like told you, hey, make multiple characters. Right. Because someone's going to die and they kind of level, and you just kind of kept track of them leveling up until one of them died and then you went over to your other one. They, but the, they yeah. could have been played, but you could also just jump around and play different characters. That was uh, the the term I think right in Darkson was for was a character tree, and there was a notion for how one there was a there was some material in that game about how one character gains experience relative to the other characters, which is really interesting, especially because to me Darkson as a whole barely built on that idea. 
that's a feature that could have been the games have like taken into like that as a defining feature of the game mm-hmm. and in that game it was almost more of a this is a really deadly game how do we keep people from from the like oh now i have to make a new character and keep that fun and figure out how to import them into the dynamic and all that stuff right because there, there, i feel like there's a and different groups i know handled it in very different ways and I, th- I feel like even the text the way that dark sun considered the relationships between the characters on the tree or the characters of neighboring trees like how the party's characters interacted mm-hmm. if you think about it there's a whole like take out everything that's dark sunny just the character tree as technology. There's a lot of gameplay just in that, in terms of I have an ability that lets me, whatever, use another character's ability or lets me call on another character or swap out characters midway through. You know, I mean, almost like a Sense8 style kind of camaraderie or interactions, which is something that I just think that that, that goes on at the table in RPGs to a, a lot more than it does in other media because of the multiple authors and the multiple characters and the ensemble and everything. Right. Yeah, the idea of the ensemble cast is is a pretty well understood idea. I mean, how much of of the the notion of character monogamy, the idea that one person should play one part, mm-hmm. is either inherited from narrative sources or, or television or film sources from the actorliness of it from from like how much of that is baked in because of the name role-playing game of the of the whole field of the medium as opposed to if they had been called i mean and this is such smoky coffee house bs that i'm really getting into is the notion of the order of terminology and how that would have influenced it but if they'd started as narrative games or they had started as authorial games or, or whatever not even something that we not, not even a term that we actually have right but if they'd just been called something other than role-playing game at the right. beginning, would character monogamy have been such a easy to inherit or, or almost standardized? Right. I mean, it's philosophy. a default. It's yeah. a default state, right? Yeah. If it was a storyboarding, storyboarding games or something yeah. like that. I mean, I think it's certainly a mode that has become default because it clearly works. Is clearly functional for the play experience that mm-hmm. we are looking for at the table. And the biggest games, both in the the market and in the mind space are ones where you make a character. You play that character until usually until they die or until there's some... <laughs> until some, they die or the campaign does. Right, or the campaign does. And then if that happens, you make a new character and you play them. That's kind of the default state, but you can arrange the player and character relationship in different ways. And they can be... They're like There's a lot of different options, I guess is, is what, where I'm going with this. So it's just another choice to make in what you want your table experience to be like when you're designing your game. And, th- and that choice casts a long shadow, right? That's a, that's a, yeah. I mean, not only does it come from a long tradition of options, but it will influence not only how the game is played and how the game is written and how the game is presented, right? But that's a, this is a point where you have... This is the tip of the sword in its impact on playcraft because... Mm-hmm. People were playing D&D where you play multiple characters, even though that's maybe not in the text. I, I, I routinely, because we didn't have as many players as we wanted characters at the table. When I was in like junior high and stuff, we would play multiple characters or have multiple characters. And it would be, are you bringing your cleric or your fighter on this adventure? Well, I haven't played my fighter in a while. I'll bring him. But that's not a rules. That's not a design thing of D&D as much as that was a design thing in the playcraft of the campaign. That was what we were doing, you know, one end. Well, and so when you consider it in design which I think is vital. I think you have to consider it in the design step. Like a lot of games project character monogamy when it's not necessarily essential or game-breaking to reconsider it at the table, right? right? So, but, but I think it's important to consider it at every step, like you say. It is also the default in that if the game does not set something else up, oh, that yeah. is what we generally do, right? Unless the game says, oh, make two characters. We will probably make one and then 
if at some point we're like, oh, you know, we'd really like to have a six-person party and we only have four players. And someone's like, oh, I, I kind of wanted to play a cleric. So what if I just make a cleric and then I can play both, right? And right. That's kind of a at-the-table hack or whatever, just yeah. a, a at-the-table decision. And the game probably, the majority of games are fine with that. I think because, and this is a an insight that, again, is obvious in retrospect, but I did not have for a while. Playing multiple characters is something that the GM does all the time. Right. So breaking that up and saying, oh, sure, more than one person can play more than one character. Will does it all the time when he's running our game. I can do that too. The difference usually is that the player character has more like cognitive stuff that you need to keep track of, more rules and abilities and all the stuff on your sheet. Well, a lot of GM characters are either one-offs or are spur of the moment characterizations. Right. Yeah, they're not they're not fully, you know, rules devised two-page character sheets for each NPC. This is this this person is a name and a hat. But in the sense of coming up with a character motivation, yeah. finding a place for them in the story, creating a foil, creating a love interest, all of those things, anyone can can kind of do those on the fly and if the game can accommodate that, I think that's something worth considering for uh, increasing player engagement, right? right. Uh, this is a place where, where I think a lot of games implicitly as opposed to explicitly refer to or enforce or discourage character monogamy is where you say, if a character takes 45 minutes to make, or for that matter has, a, like you say, a cognitive load to run, that I have four or five pages of a D&D 4 character of all these powers, I'm not going to want to run I'm not going to, as a player, have two of those characters. I'm just not, I'm not going to want to mess with it. Even though I might, in the fiction or in the play space or in the game world, have multiple characters, if that character creation process has to happen at the table, for example, then that has a different cognitive load and a different footprint on the gameplay than if I can make multiple characters ahead of time, like in Dark Sun, where making a D&D second edition character wasn't necessarily trivial but it also wasn't terribly complicated you didn't have to be complicated you had a lot of options but you but one could do it fairly quickly if they wanted to so i would routinely sometimes just make characters just for fun as a player just to have extra characters around or to see what happens if i put these numbers together this way or whatever it is so if that away from the table play is fun then character monogamy can potentially be seen differently by the players right because part of this is there's also i think there's a there's an aspect of like you say the the ecology that the game is going to live in the assumptions that will be made based on what the game doesn't say so if a game doesn't say you will play only one character sooner or later somebody might go well what happens if i play two we only have two players i want three characters at the table i'll play two characters the gm will run some characters you run two characters we'll have a whole party it'll be great the way that interacts with i think a kind of natural but not necessarily prescripted trajectory of of just player experience which is to say if players come in, if, if a player's first game is a game that has no character monogamy, that has troop style play, that is Ars Magica or something, and their first thing is you're going to play three characters, they may approach D&D differently later. Mm-hmm. If they come to it later, or they may approach Apocalypse World differently or whatever it is, if yeah. they come to it later and say, well, how many characters can I play? And I think it's inevitable to question some of those assumptions, regardless of which assumption you start with first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the other component, right, is the player experience. Because as you say, like, that's just, if that's the style of game you play, then you get used to it. While if you are presented with the opportunity to do something else, then that's a, a shift that maybe the game can help with, or maybe it has to be totally on the, the table and everyone else to help you out. And one other aspect of that is that one player priority that I think is pretty common is really inhabiting a character, right? Mm -hmm. Getting into character, having some kind of identification 
with what that character is going through in the game world. Doing that with more than one avatar, for lack right. of a better word, could actually make that person's experience a little poorer because they have they're splitting their energy or splitting their attention. It's another area in which, like, if if the goal of your game is to create these uh, these more focused character experiences, then you might want to preserve player monogamy and maybe specifically talk about if there's something you're the a, a player wants out of the game that they can't get with their current character here's how to go about bringing in a different character that is their now their solo thing or or whatever oh like a successor or yeah. a, as opposed to two characters simultaneously right, right because right. i think the the phrase as we've been using it i think is is kind of talking about like either hopping around between characters or like one session I played this, one session mm-hmm. I played this. But really the basic version is I play one character, they they die or, or leave or whatever, and now here is my new character. So it's still breaking the monogamy, if you will, but it's more of a, a widower than uh, not being in a, in a one-to-one covenant. I mean, it's interesting because in the lifespan of any player over any number of games, is, is character monogamy at that level actually a thing? Where if a character plays more than one different game, they're going to play multiple characters, Though right? there is the, the phenomenon of the player that makes the same character for every game. I was just going right? to, yeah. So, Do you remember there's a, TSR put out a game called Amazing Engine, a system called Amazing Engine, uh, which had games like uh, for Fairy Queen and Country and Bug Hunters. I remember thinking when it came out, this was would have been the early mid 90s that it was TSR going after kind of a generic role playing experience sort of a GURPS kind of a thing where they could bring in multiple worlds but not have to re- build rule sets for every one of them a very kind of late 80s early 90s foray it was kind of what was going on I feel like at the time in a lot of ways and Amazing Engine had the weird notion or I should, it's not weird really but it was the unusual the uncommon at the time especially notion where you would create a central character archetype that had that was not part of any world that was the, the ratio of your body, mind, and spirit stats, or whatever they were. And then individual games would adapt your core archetype in different ways so that mm. I was always playing the distant brainiac and you were always play, playing the emotional tough guy or whatever it is, right? So in, in this game, emotional tough guys get bonuses to strength and get physically larger. And the brainiacs are, are ethereal, like physically they have no matter or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. It wasn't quite as literal maybe as I'm making it sound in terms of, you know, that, that your physicality necessarily completely reflected that archetype. But it was the notion that players do want to play the same character in everything. Right. Which struck me as so odd yeah. when it came out. I was, it was bizarre to me having the same character over and over again. This is one of the reasons why I prefer to GM is because I get to try out more characters faster. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I have a number of uh, long-term designs, for example, that are about making it easy, faster for characters to manifest for a player and more easily satisfying both in the fictional world and in the player's space to switch out characters. Not necessarily troop style as much as on this mission I will bring this dude mm-hmm. and on this mission I'll bring mm-hmm. that badass samurai lady or whatever it is, right? So that the cognitive load, like, like we're talking about, the cognitive responsibility isn't so high. And the world gets bigger for the players and they get a little bit of a, more authority. If the, if the player character is the player's narrative authority, then having more characters means to a certain extent more authority because mm-hmm. you can create more backstory and more NPCs that are related to you or whatever it is. I used to have a great deal of success running one shots and such for people because they could the decision the need to protect a character right. wasn't the same. Yeah, that's I think that's a observation across um, a lot of the kind of convention play yeah. and stuff like that yeah. where people tend to play one shot games, convention games a little differently than they do long term games because you want to see the payoffs 
immediately. You want to see them in the time that you're actually playing. And so the those long-term, both storyline payoffs and also in-character payoffs, are you're not going to get to them. So you see the, the thing where people, to borrow a phrase from uh, Monster Hearts, where people drive their characters like stolen cars, right? As opposed to the, uh, in that game, is drive your NPCs like stolen cars. But um, you see it in, in, in one-shots where people make really dramatic, aggressive character decisions because they want to see it play out in the next four hours. And it's actually kind of nice because it's a way to get around the inclination to try and and protect something about your character, um, Mm -hmm. which can be difficult to deal with in a short game where you're trying to show something off or trying to get to the end of the mission or whatever it is. To me, uh, it's um, cinematic versus serial in a way. There's this film to TV ratio there, which is that I think it's interesting, and this is in design, whether it's for a one-shot style game, like a, like a you know, one and done, like a fiasco, or for campaign style games, or even just anything kind of in between, something that just has a couple of sessions to it, is thinking about how the characters interface with the rules so that, uh, for example, a one-shot in D&D, if you play one character for a fraction of a level, you know you can point at that you are seeing one twentieth of that character potentially, even though we don't necessarily worry about it because we play that character to the hilt and do it differently. One thing I wanted to mention is if and when you are jumping around with a in character, like, you know, now I'm going to another character or I'm now inheriting a character from someone else. Mm-hmm. And that character has already been established in some way, whether it's been played by someone else, literally, like in a circle of hands, say, where you have this group of, they're called circle knights, but you have your, your group of characters and you all make a bunch and then you, you each play one. And then in the next mission, by the rules, you need to play one that you have not yet played. Cool. You play yours, I play mine. Sarah plays hers, and then in the next game, I'm like, oh, Sarah's knight was awesome. I'm going to play him. But Wolfgar has already been established through an entire session of play. So one thing to, to look out for is, is this idea of, like, can I get paralyzed in some way trying to portray a character that's already been seen before? How, how much am I beholden to continue a through line of characterization versus Wolfgar's mine now? I'm going to do what I want. Right. Is there anything that... The, the, Do you have any in, in, insight into that I can, t- I can tell you that, that my experience, first of all, the, the fear of it is is the worst. It's it's harder than the actual playing of a character that you've seen played. More often than not, what I've seen is that players will refuse to do it. I've seen players refuse to do it in Ars Magica. I've seen people mm-hmm. play, players refuse to do it on Star Trek ships and stuff where they're just like, no, not my character, not interested, not don't want to do it or don't want to compete with you or don't want to screw up your vision or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also, if you've ever seen anybody in a licensed game try to play somebody from a movie try to play gandalf or try to play han solo or whoever mm-hmm. first of all my experience is that it almost always turns to comedy not often as an escape hatch because of that pressure again because it's easier to do an impression of somebody than it is to play somebody rather than get it wrong right capital w i will telegraph to everyone that i'm not really playing the character Right, that I'm getting it wrong with a lowercase w. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm, I'm getting it wrong on purpose right. rather than get it wrong for real. But And it's interesting to me that, that GMs I've seen dodge it in two, you know, I mean, where GMs either just don't bring Gandalf or Han Solo into the campaign or there's the understanding that, look, I'm not going to do a whole session as Han Solo because I can't pull that off. So in Circle of Hands, it kind of addresses uh, that potential issue by setting up the expectation right at the front. Yeah. Right. Where it says you are all going to make two characters. So you're already mentally involved with multiple entities and 
it very clearly says someone else is going to be playing one of yours and you're going to be playing someone else's and it only matters. It basically says it doesn't matter. Right. It only matters in the context of, of how much you want to carry forward the character. There's no reason for you to feel beholden to the other person. And that also creates uh, the expectation that we'll, we're going to give each other permission. Oh, yeah. Take Wolfgar. Right. I, I can't wait to see what you do with him. Exactly. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that where with NPCs, where, where multiple GMs, uh, a GM in the same world or the same shared campaign or whatever, and NPCs get reused that way. But I cannot believe that I, that I came to the table not ready to talk about TSR's original world of Indiana Jones role-playing game where everybody gets a chance to play indie. But the idea is that Indy and, and Marion and Sala and uh, Short Round and Willie and all these characters, depending on which thing you buy, are available. And s- chapter to chapter or adventure to adventure, you'll mix up who you play. You don't want to play in the world of Indiana Jones. You want to play Indiana Jones. You want him present. And so now, instead, rather than having everybody fight over who gets to play him, or in my experience, who gets to watch somebody else play him, because playing him is kind of a tall order, mm-hmm. depending, right? Or playing any of those characters, because we can, we can compare them to, I wouldn't want to, I mean, playing Marion, Marion is much sharper and has greater fire than I do. Like I can't either one of them, right? Like I just mm-hmm. want to watch them talk to each other. I don't want to actually play them. <laughs> but is that uh, was the way of, of, of splitting that notion of character ownership and character monogamy and how that gets shared at the table similarly, right. so, by I think less, probably less successfully than games that they got the opportunity to learn from it. So that's a interesting take on playing Han Solo problem, right? Where it's different to say you're all rebel pilots right? and one of you is playing Han Solo. Right. Right. To saying you are playing the cast of New Hope. You're each taking a main character. For me, that would be like that would be easier if we're all in the same boat than being singled out as the one who has some kind of shared understanding. Like we all have an idea about who this character is. We're all being tested instead of just you being tested. Right. And then we and but then it starts to create the sense that we're creating our own alternate universe. Yeah. Perhaps versus all trying to kind of stay in the same one, even though it doesn't really matter because we're playing a game and this is ours anyway. But games like um, base Sherlock Holmes or Doctor Who or James Bond, any British pulp hero that has been recast is my point. There's an unusual, I think, potential there that we haven't seen really explored. Some, but not as much as it could be, but which is which Bond are you playing? Yeah. Or how many doctors are in this adventure (laughs) or what have you? I feel like uh, I'm sure someone has done this, but I feel like there's a a ripe opportunity to say not I play character A, then I play character B, or here's our cast of characters and we each play one and then they switch. But to say in this, you know, in this game, I'm playing this character embodied in this way, like played by this actor. Right. right? And then in the next game, I'm playing the same character. But I'm recasting. Recast. (laughs) You know, I love it. Played as a different character, and then you maybe that changes around some of your stats and stuff like that. Yeah, but narratively, they're they're in the the same universe. And and like Bond, we either do or that 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 recast is separate from the reboot. Right. That no no we're not rebooting continuity or anything. Right. The campaign is still the campaign. I've just recast the actor. Mm-hmm. Who's playing this character? Right. This this one just happens. He's just more. He's just naturally more suave because he's a different actor, right? And then this guy is naturally more actiony because he's more of an action hero who's playing this character. Right. Move some some points around or whatever. That's cool. One of the advantages of breaking up the the one to one player character yeah. assumption is for a casual play for doing a game where like there's no expectation that we're going to do this long term we're just going to get together for a couple hours play a thing have a good time 
shifts of balance from I spent X amount of time making a character. So now I want to play for Y amount of time in order to feel like I'm getting out what I put in. Right. Those numbers shift depending on the game, where if X is very small, Y can also be relatively small, while as X gets larger, Y seems to get exponentially larger. Yeah, um, why, why do I want to spend an hour on character creation to play a character for 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. Likewise, why do I want to spend a day, and after a Saturday afternoon on character creation, depending on the game, right, to play a character for four hours? Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking of a game like Final Girl, which is a slasher horror movie game, Mm -hmm. which is one of my my favorite games for exploring this concept because it basically says, like, all the assumptions about how characters are and the relationship with players, it kind of, like, tosses all of them aside. It's troop-style play where you all make multiple characters. Mm -hmm. You write them on index cards. They have, like, one or two numbers. And just come up, basically, like, here's the cast of the movie. And then you just have a bunch of characters out there. And then the first scene of the game, um, you can play whoever you want. And a bunch of them are going to die because that's when the slasher shows up and starts killing people. Right. And then every scene, you just grab whoever you want out of who's remaining. And you keep playing until you get down to the the final girl, which is the the trope of, you know, the the last um, character standing uh, who may or may not actually be able to overcome or survive against the killer. Making characters takes like a couple minutes. Not only do you not want to invest a whole lot of energy in a character because they could very well die very soon, also someone else is going to play them. So that's kind of an encouragement to do these very genre, one big hook kind of, no, no pun intended, uh, but one, <laughs> one big character hook characters. Both, both accessible and kind of provocative so yeah. that they have a thing to, to portray and you're mm-hmm. like, ooh, I want to portray it. Right, like yeah. even, even down to just stereotypes, right? The, the jock, you know, the creepy janitor or whatever, and then you play the creepy janitor, and then he survives, and I'm like, oh, I have a cool idea for the creepy janitor, so I'm going to play him in the next scene. There's this uh, book called Slasher for Hunter the Vigil, which uh, I had almost nothing to do with. I was in a couple of design conversations and stuff about it early on, because I had a slasher thing to do for World of Darkness that we didn't do, and my model was to have it be this conversation in that it is completely change-up player authority and responsibility and, and monogamy in the one-to-one relationship because it's a one-and-done book anyway in a, in a world that presumably has these kind of crazy slasher things going on and we never talk about it. We're never, we never really can make a game out of it because the default mode for the World of Darkness was characters progressing and surviving. I, what I was thinking was that you do a game where as player characters die, multiple players take on the same slasher. So the slasher mm-hmm. gets multiple turns now. And you have multiple minds cooking up ideas for what the slasher or the, the alien or whatever the monster is can do. And there's a little bit of revenge, which is like, oh, well, you're going to win. You're going you're gonna, to win. You're going to survive this story. Your character is going to be the one who survives. Or I get to play a little bit Kingmaker because the, the, when I die, there's only two players left. Mm. I get to kind of decide which one of you is going to get most of these dice or damage or whatever it is from the slasher. And that's kind of the handoff that I wanted to explore that we weren't able to do on that book was the notion of multiple players to one character. Right. And that's another dimension. So Final Girl is a distilled version of of all of that stuff. So the killer is played by someone, but it moves around. Mm -hmm. And as the characters die down to less than the number of players, if I remember right, you start collaborating as, as the killer to do just that kind of thing. Um, it also has this great basic card mechanic, but it's a, you don't have to be fa- faster than the bear, just faster than your friend right. mechanic, right. which is very uh, in genre and, and great. 
And a, a quick aside, it is actually no longer available due to the decision of the designer. So if you go out looking for it, I'm sorry. Did it come out as a PDF or something? Or was it, it a was book? A, it was a PDF and a print, like a very thin little pamphlet. Brett, the author, is a friend of mine, and I respect his decisions for not having it available anymore. So please don't bother him about it. Right. My other, right. My other note. Yeah, breaking apart not only the one player to one characters, they're like, oh, one player can play multiple characters. The one character to multiple players has been pushed at around the edges concept that isn't that still has a lot of room to be explored. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of untilled soil there. The first thing I think about is the the shadow and the wraith, um, old world of darkness wraith, which is actually something that I'm a similar concept that I'm trying to work on for a Edgar Allan Poe era. Um, psychological horror game that I'm working on. So the basic concept, right, is you have your character, you have some kind of dark impulses and things that are not under your control. So another player actually embodies those impulses and has some kind of power or some kind of ability to either uh, make decisions for you in certain circumstances or give you like bonuses or penalties or do something. I'm that not. actually affects your mechanical ability to do things. Point of clarity, this is you're, we're talking about now about Wraith, or we're talking about your game? So this is a concept that I'm kind of bringing from Wraith and adapting. Oh, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. It's interesting because as an example in Wraith, the shadow and the player character are kind of textually different beings. The right. shadow has its own is it's its own force, has yeah. its own agency, and I wonder how much of that is because. I, I don't know, but is uh, a result of protecting either character player authority over the character or is an import of the notion of, again, one-to-one character ratios, which is yep. that, that in order for another player to play it, it has to be a different character, mm-hmm. which is uh, which I don't necessarily think was a mistake, but I think is means that it, that it also is kind of gesturing towards but not actually moving towards, not actually walking towards this territory we're talking about where multiple players take on the same character i've mm-hmm. tried it in in um everything from there's a game somewhere i can't remember what it's called there's a there's, game from long ago where all the players play one character and it's uh, a comedy game and it's, yeah, the, it's um, i play the arm and you play the leg or whatever everyone is john oh that's that too that's not what i was thinking of. but yeah right everyone is john is yeah, yeah yeah is uh i think also it's a comedic the framing of it is is a com is comedic but you all play john john you're all <laughs> you're all john well i the uh, all the damn time is a, a fiasco place that i've got when which is Again, kind of in that same notion, but but intentionally splits the character where everybody plays Sam Howard at different points in time, and he's a time traveler, and he's meeting himself. That that's a riff on character, player, and character agency by design in a way that suggests that Sam is a torn and broken person because he's got these multiple different impulses throughout his life, and because that we all change and blah blah blah. What I, what I'm wondering, uh, we've done it. I did it once in uh, uh, in a Star Trek campaign where the captain was not anybody's character because I didn't want one person having veto power over everybody else. So the captain was sometimes me as the GM, but I would also often, I would use the ready room scenes, if you will, from Star Trek, where everybody gets around the table and talks about how to solve the problem and let the players do inputs on the captain to say, the captain agrees with me and they have, and they can make roles and and things to do this, but that they were all kind of very, very subtly, very, very gently all playing the captain to a point um, in terms of building on the relationships and the what we were learning it was more like it was more like creating the captain as a character together in slow-mo over multiple episodes by saying well we know that he actually in this case we know that she went along with this the scientific solution last time so we can either say as players that since that didn't work out well she doesn't 
she's not going to listen to the science officer the same way that she listened to him before, or we could change it to, uh, I mean, it was very she dramatic. Be, it, was, it was completely non-mechanical, essentially. She, she could be doubling down. She could on, be doubling down. She'd be like, giving no, one last shot. No, this time shot. it'll work. Exactly, right? Yeah, this is all about, look, no, science officer, you need it. This is your second shot because I have to know. So two things. First of all, we, uh, I would be remiss not to mention a game that's currently in playtest called Bluebeard's Bride, where it also has this uh, multiple player, one character dynamic where you all mm. play different facets of Bluebeard's Bride going into Bluebeard's mansion for the first time. Nice. And then what happens after. And in that game, you all have an individual character, like sheet. You have stuff, mechanics. It's a, a apocalypse derivative. So, you know, it has familiar moves and stuff. We kind of play different psych, almost psychologies or psychological aspects of the character. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of defined by archetypes. So you have you might have competing impulses depending on whether you're more like the witch and so you have this kind of like magical kind of impulse or whether you're more of uh the like the maiden or something like that and you have more of a empathetic impulse. Are, is, I don't know what the situation of all the of all the playbooks is right now cuz as I said I know it's in in playtest but uh, I've I've played it and it's quite effective in the sense of when you zoom out and look at kind of the story of the character kind of post game and seeing how all these differing voices and ability to direct the action of the single fictional character, what that meant. It's very, it's really interesting. Is this uh, uh, is the number of playbooks for something like that? Is it a finite number in the sense of we need to have that this character always has the same four facets or is it like a big, you know, roster of different. And so only the facets that are played by the it's, players come into, it's more of the second. Okay. I think only the ones that are played matter basically cool um and there's also mechanics about taking control of the body right like who controls the body in a certain scene wow yeah it's good stuff that Um, sounds both intense and brilliant so look that up it's in playtest so i guess all of that is to say that not only can you question the the basic you know the default assumption of like one player one character there's as with so many things there's kind of a spectrum relationship that you can push those dials around as part of your game like you don't need to say and maybe this is something that is seen more in moment to moment play at individual tables and less so in formal game design you don't need to say one player one character that's it one player multiple characters that's it multiple players one character that's it it can be at this kind of sliding sense of who's playing who when and how does that affect their ability to play a different character and how do they interact and how do you come together and move apart in playing with and inhabiting all these different characters in your game? With all of the options that are available, it's not just a matter of what you say or if you say or how you say, but when you say. So if a character emerges from this point, you could have rules for if this happens without saying it will happen. Uh, and that can be a slippery mess as well. But And this is another area where a combination of vision and practicality, I think, is so important. Where you have a vision for, wouldn't it be cool in this game if this new interesting space was explored in player stylings, in playcraft, or in procedure, or in character dynamics. But at the same time, there is nothing wrong with if it is suitable for the design that you're doing drawing on and formalizing things that you realize that you had been assuming beforehand may, uh, the decision to say one character one player is obviously still a completely legit decision and it's not a less artful decision there are still surprising and provocative and meaningful and moving ways to work with that material much in the same way that right. painting but, and painting and sculpture are not done just because we have found cinema mm-hmm. if anything Everything is constantly energizing the others back and forth. So just because we talked about something being 
a new and sort of underexplored region doesn't necessarily mean that that is where better designs oh, yeah. lie. Yeah. And also we could be wrong, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Like, exactly. Like, exactly. Like we clearly, there could be this whole world of polyamorous character player relationship. And I think, I'm sure there is. And how many and how many games that have tried it and the designers have for very good reasons said this is not working. Right. And it's like <laughs> so if that stuff's out there, awesome. Like let yeah, us let yeah. us know so that we can can expand our horizons about Absolutely. this kind of thing. And I guess one other note is all of this also applies to and I think can learn a lot from and has been learning a lot from live action forms, mm-hmm. LARP freeform live action games in uh, all those different spaces. A lot of it for me too is from watching forum games and, and, mm-hmm. and online RP and the way people swap out characters and things like Storium and such. Yeah, there's a lot of great data and inspiration and cross-pollination and, and data is so cold. Uh, you know, what I mean is just that there's a lot of insight to be gained uh, from play separate from strict mediums. Another element of this rising out of your description of your your Star Trek captain is the idea of no players to a character, right? When does a character arise out mm. of the interactions of the formal characters or the players as they play them? And then at one point at what point maybe does someone take that or is that character always kind of up for grabs right depending on what's going is on? Is it a shared character or does it eventually get adopted? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And it's odd because like it's one of those things that absolutely in playcraft you see happen. I've seen it, you know, it comes up where somebody invents a whatever, an innkeeper or a mm-hmm. a cousin or a yeah, a side parent character. or whatever, yeah. And then over time that character becomes important. Yeah. And that's that's real emergence. Mm-hmm. And in a way I think that it's incredibly difficult to design not to design for like you can design, you can create this the space in which the 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 walled garden or the just not even on wall just the own wall just the just the garden whatever that such characters can grow, but designing for it in the sense of not prescribing or predicting or creating a specific space in your game where you say the players will do this and it will happen and then because then mm-hmm. you it's so emergent that the designer as a designer right you can't see that right by by trying to prescript it do you then make it impossible for it to happen. And is it kind of, well, and if you're making a procedure for it, is it not, are, are, is it no longer the same emergent process? It's, it's a different mm-hmm. emergent process now. Because you're saying one player does this, one player does that, mm-hmm. and then this character belongs to none of you. It's like, okay, but now we're back to it belongs to everybody. Right. Or this part of the character belongs, which is fine, mm-hmm. right? None of these are off limits or anything. These are all great things to choose from. But it's it's the, yeah, the, 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 the kind of beautiful, slippery intangibility of a character that belongs genuinely to no one mm-hmm. and yet can be... But heralded can be presaged. Yeah. yeah, can can be extremely important over the lifetime of the game. I, I almost want to say that that part of whether that must must work is that we're essentially we are, are we glossing over the step where one player invents a character in the form of a name, in the form of a very brief description, and then gives it away to the group. Like, is, are we mm-hmm. glossing over the step where the character goes from one to one to zero to huh. one? I don't know. Yeah, I won because it's a. It has to come from somewhere. It's invis. It's, it's it's almost an invisible process, right? Yeah. Because by definition, you're not consciously thinking, "I'm going to make an important character now." I mean, maybe you are, but if I'm, oh right, I really, yeah, my character has a sister. Her name is Jennifer. You know, so she's like mine in that sense, and related to my character, and I gave her a name. Maybe I describe her, say kind of what she's up to, and then over the course of a couple of game sessions, you know, she she gets 
tapped to become the queen and then she's a love interest and then she kills Some, someone and somebody somebody another player defines who she marries somebody else defines yeah. who she killed somebody else defines right and at yeah. what point are all these yeah, and at yeah. one point is like oh all of a sudden she's the central figure in this game yeah and at what point during that process there's no formal moment of like and now i release you to fly free right i mean maybe there could be i, I think mean that, yeah if you wanted that, to play i think you're right that, that's what you could design for like yeah. if you wanted to play with that in your game you could build in some decision points about when a character is released from a certain um, person and then how they're treated, I suppose, by the rules. Do the rules give them decision-making in a way, going way way back to the dice as independent arbiters of right. cosmic justice? Is there some random role that's like, oh, and now Jennifer is queen, and that was like fate. That's right. not... No, no, no one player, no, none, of the, none of the players at the table, no matter how much he or she might want, owns that character because they don't own the decision made by the dice. Yeah, there's some room to... There, so yeah, to, there is a design. There is room to... There are hooks that you could design in there without... without. I mean, it, it. I feel like it diminishes the space by which the emergence is truly emergent, the, mm -hmm. the kind of the, the magic of it, but not necessarily the beauty of it. Right, yeah. And, and certainly great, not the, the, the power of it. That's a great way to put it. Thanks for listening to the Design Games Podcast. I am at patreon.com slash wordwill, and Nathan is at patreon.com slash ndpaletta. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating or review on your pod listening apparatus of choice. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...